So I was uh, reading uh, an article uh, that was written by uh, an editor of a magazine. Uh, it's, uh, it's a woman. Uh, and uh, she was talking about her maiden name, that is, her name before she got married, was Rothschild. Uh, anybody ever hear of the name Rothschild before? It's, it's a pretty infamous or famous uh, name. The Rothschild family uh, is associated with wealth, lots of wealth and power. Uh, going back as far as the 17th century in Europe, uh, they were a family. I think it was about five or six uh, sons in the family. And what they did was they, cr- they created this uh, international banking empire that, that, that went out throughout uh, some of the uh, cities and nations of Europe. And uh, some of them even uh, became uh, uh, honored with nobility, lords and barons and baronets and all that stuff. So she, she writes, right? this is what she wrote. She said, when I was growing up, my surname was Rothschild. My grandfather used to say that we were from the Brooklyn branch of the fabulously wealthy European bankers. If there was a family connection, we never found it. But nevertheless, people made a lot of assumptions. And then she wrote this, and I just imagine her writing this with a smile. Uh, She says, I learned it became very useful in making restaurant reservations. (laughs) So that that was about as much as she could get out of it, making, in fact, fact, it was funny. When I read that, I thought about my son-in-law, Doug. How long you guys been married now? 13 years? It's going to be 13 years? So it's like one of the first things I did as a, as a father-in-law is sit down my, my, my son-in-law and give him some father-in-law advice. And I said to him, I said, Doug, I said, when you make a restaurant reservation at an Italian restaurant, when you call up Branchinelli's and you leave your name, please don't tell him it's Jansen. You're not going to get good service. It, you, you got to have an Italian name like Don Vito or Carmine or, as in my case, Enzo, you know. So, so that was my, my advice. But, but, but he, he, here's the point. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have a family connection to a glorious, to a great and a powerful name. In fact, Scripture, Scripture admonishes us, encourages us that whatever we do, either in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord giving thanks to the Father through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to say is this, is that don't presume that if somebody uses the name of Jesus or invokes the name of Jesus, that there is a family connection to the fabulously wealthy Savior we know as Jesus. In fact, I wanted to share this scripture with you. On Judgment Day, it says this in Matthew 7, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, in your name, and cast out demons in your name, and have performed many miracles in your name, but I will reply, I never knew you. Now, I don't know about you, but when I I read that, that, that last phrase, I never knew you, in my opinion, is one of the most ominous, one of the most terrifying phrases I think anybody could ever hear. I never, never knew you. Listen, this is the day. This is the hour. And I don't mean today, but I'm talking about now in this life. This is the day and the hour to to not only have the privilege of coming to know and to call upon the name of the Lord. And Bob says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Is to not only know him, but even, even as important for him to know you by name. As a shepherd, he says, I know my sheep by name and they follow me. 
they recognize my voice and another shepherd they will not follow. What, what a tremendous privilege to not only know the Lord, but to also be known of the Lord. This is the day, this is the hour to call upon the name of the Lord. And I tell you what, you do that. Listen, if you're here this morning and you're not a person of faith, can I just say, I just invite you to open up your heart to Jesus. And if you would open up your heart to Jesus, you will never have to be afraid of hearing those, that phrase, I never knew you. Someday, someday what you will hear is, well done. Good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what I want to hear. And coming into the world, the incarnation, the, the, the reality of God becoming one with the human race, God becoming man, the, the man Christ Jesus. I mean, as, as mysterious as that is, and, and the Bible says, great is the mystery of godliness, God manifested in the flesh there's no doubt that, that this is one of the greatest mysteries of all. But the way in which Jesus did that it was, was this tremendous leap of faith from, from the second person of the Godhead to become, to become a, a carpenter's son, to, to become one born in poverty, to, to become the man of sorrows. What a great leap of faith that was to be joined to the human family. And guess what? The same way that we become joined to the family of God is through the same leap of faith. Listen to what John says in the prologue of the Gospel of John. John says, though he came into the world and the world received him not, and he came into his own and his own received him not, but, John says this, to all who receive him, to them he gives the right or the power or the authority to become children of God because they believe in his name. See how very important it is to, to believe in his name, to know the name that is above every other name, that God has given to Jesus Christ the name that is above every other name, that at, at, at his name every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. This is great. We've been talking for the last 18 weeks about some of the different names and some of the different titles of the Lord Jesus, and we've been saying it's the name above every name, right? Um, this morning, I want to, I you know, I, this is not a good idea. It, it really is a God's idea. Jesus said, learn of me, for I am meek and humble of heart. And, and one of the things that we've been trying to do is over the last several months is to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And again, it's not a good idea. The Holy Spirit is passionate about taking the things of Christ, the treasure that is in Jesus, the wisdom that is hidden in him, and reveal it to us. The Holy Spirit is, is willing to open up the eyes of our understanding and give us insight into his character and into his nature and into his mission so that we would know everything that there is to know about him as much as is possible. But what stands out in my opening introduction this morning, and this is so important, is not so much that we have a, an intellectual knowledge of him, but that we have a relationship with him. See, relationship supersedes information. And God has called believers in Christ to have a personal and intimate relationship with him so that we, we not only know him, but he knows us. He knows us by name. Listen, as a believer in Christ, Jesus is 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 
as much mine as I am his. You are not your own, the Bible says. You've been bought with a price. And therefore, glorify God. And so, and so I, I am just as much his as he is mine. And, and there becomes that personal, that personal possession. Like Thomas who said, said, my Lord and my God. We've got to get to that place where, where, where it is a personal, intimate relationship with him. So faith. It's faith that lays hold of him. Like Jacob of old says, I will not let you go, not until you bless me. No, no, I will not let you go no matter what. No matter what my experience is, I am not going to let go of you. I am going to cleave to you. Now, Jesus commissioned his disciples with the family name. And we're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What, what privileges we have to be able to, to bear that family name, not Rothschild, but Jesus. And that name carries with it certain privileges and certain rights and, and certain honors that comes along with it. You know, I said in the very beginning of this series that there's no way that a couple of dozen titles would be sufficient or names sufficient enough to unveil the majesty and the wonder of Jesus, the one who's called wonderful. We're just scratching the surface. The world itself could not contain the books that should be written about him. All eternity will really be the unfolding of, of his glory and his wonder to us. And we'll, we will always be amazed at just how precious his love is to us. In the past several weeks, we, we've spoken about the lion and the lamb. We've spoken about Jesus as the bridegroom. We've spoken about Jesus as the, the last Adam and, and, the, and the second man. We've spoken about him as the, the rock and the cornerstone that the elders rejected. And all these, all these different names and titles as the bridegroom, all, all of these glorious things. I, I don't want to this morning just look at one simple title or another name of Jesus. What I want to do is I want to take what we've learned so far in the, in the compounding of, of all of the titles that we've looked at so far. And I, I want to... I wanna, encourage corporate faith in the name and the use of the name of Jesus, okay? So, so my goal this morning is to inspire you to possess faith in the name of Jesus because it is the will of God that we would be commissioned to use his name for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. So that, that, that's my goal. But I, I want you to know this. It, it's not a magical term. It's not, a, it's, it's not like abracadabra, you know? According to Wikipedia, right, abracadabra is a magical phrase which is sometimes associated with, with healing properties when it's inscribed on an amulet. I didn't know that, abracadabra. I thought it was just a trick word, you know, like, like shazam or, or, you know, hocus pocus or, or like... In the Arabian Nights, open sesame. This is just empty phrases. But the word of God, the name of Jesus, is not an empty phrase. There's power in his name. But I tell you what, the way some people use the name of Jesus, just kind of throwing it on the end of a prayer, you might as well say abracadabra. Seven brothers tried to use that name of Jesus in the book of Acts. 
and, and, and what they were, that they, they were exorcists or they tried to make their living by casting evil spirits out of people. And they heard about this Jesus and they, they said to the man who was demonized, they said, we adjure you in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches to come out of the man. And the demon speaking said, responded by saying, Jesus, I know. Paul, I've heard about, but who are you? And leaped upon the man, beat up the seven brothers, came, overpowered each of them, sent them out of the house, the Bible says, bleeding and naked. See, it's relationship to Jesus that causes there to be the use of power with that name. I mean, without a relationship to Christ, it is just as hollow as abracadabra or hocus pocus. So Jesus commands his followers to have faith and to trust in the power of his name. That is the name. In my name, Jesus said, you, you will cast out devils. And in my name, you will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And in my name, you'll even raise the dead. He gave his disciples, and that includes us, the power and the authority to use the family name, a name that is synonymous with, with great wealth and power, the name of Jesus. We're going to look at in a couple of minutes in the book of Acts and uh, the, the book of Acts, there were two major themes running through the book of Acts. Number one, the message of the resurrection. And number two, equally as important, was the, the, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In, that, in this f- fourth chapter, I believe it is, is, that Peter says, there is no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. No other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. The name of Jesus. And so the name of Jesus is extremely important. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord. In Acts chapter 2, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, sees 3,000 people come into the kingdom of God and are added to the church because he preached Christ to them and said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord. They said, what must we do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, okay? So the disciples of Jesus you know what they did? They said one time, they said, they said, Master, teach us how to pray. The way John taught his disciples how to pray. And you know, the, the prayer that we kind of know as, uh, it's, been, it's been called the Our Father, you know, or the Lord's Prayer. Uh, really, uh, I, I think that's, that's mislabeling, and it really should probably be called the Disciples' Prayer. And it really was, it really was the Lord giving the disciples an outline of having a conversation with God. Uh, it's not to be spoken in 30 seconds or 45 seconds or however long it takes to recite it. Empty, empty with empty words. Rather, it is an outline and each of the phrases, it's about seven different phrases, are, are a topical subject to, to bring before God in prayer. But I want you to notice what, what Jesus started with. He started with the phrase, hallowed be what? Your name. Because the name of God is that important. The name of God is holy and it is synonymous with power. What Jesus was saying was was that we need to reverence the name of God, that we need to set it apart. We, we, We need to make it holy. We need to venerate it and honor the name of God. Now, one of the reasons why in the Old Testament, it was really a certain amount of confusion, even among theologians, 
as to what the name of God was in the Old Testament because when the scribes were, were transcribing the record of Scripture and they came to the name of God, what, what they would do is because they treated it with such reverence, they would, they would, they would get up, they would wash themselves, break the quill or pen, and, and start all over again. And then they would, they would repeat that process every time they came to the name of God because they treated with, with such holiness. They wouldn't write out all of the Hebrew characters. And so, th- therefore, there was a confusion as to the right pronunciation of the name of God. Now, now what, what I'm saying is, is this. I don't want to be religious, and, 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 and th- there can be a point where you become religious about anything, even the name of God. But I think what Jesus is saying is that we need to have a, a reverence and a respect and a faith in the name of Jesus. And I want to look and see what happens when we have a reverence for the name of Jesus mixed together with faith, okay? Uh, Acts chapter 3 is what we're going to be looking at this morning. And uh, in uh, Doug's series on... Uh, engaging culture, uh, he's uh, uh, at least about two or three of the messages, I believe it was at least two of the messages, uh, he spoke about Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4. Now, I'm going to take it from a slightly different approach and and not really get that much into chapter 4, but basically look at the miracle that's before us in Acts chapter 3. So Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple At the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, there were three times of prayer during the day in which they would gather together at the temple. The the ninth hour simply is another way of saying that it was three o'clock in the afternoon. They came for afternoon prayer. Peter and John were once partners together as fishermen, and now they're partners together as fishers of men. Try, try to put in perspective the, the atmosphere that was in Jerusalem at this time. This is shortly after the day of Pentecost, shortly after the Holy Spirit has come and fallen upon 120 believers who turned into 3,000 more believers that were added to that. And there is, a, there is an, an, an attitude of excitement. There's an expectation that's taking place in the whole city of Jerusalem. People are talking about the fact that Jesus of Nazareth was raised from the dead, the one that was crucified, that he's alive, and that this is the testimony that's going on. So, so this is the atmosphere that, that, that we're dealing with now in uh, Acts chapter 3. So it says in verse 2, that a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful for this purpose, to ask arms, from those who had entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked, he was begging, he was begging for help. He was begging for money. What we later learn in the story as it unfolds is this, this man's 40 years old. Th- this man has never walked for 40 years. And he's being carried and put in his spot so that he can beg for the sympathies of people. And, and, you know, the Bible clearly speaks about having compassion and love for the poor, you know. Uh, but I tell you what, at, at this particular time, you, you know, you could check with commentaries and theologians at the time, and, and it wasn't practiced very much. There wasn't much compassion and love going around at the time. These two men, Peter and John, uh, I tell you what, you couldn't get, you know, more of an odd couple, together because 
Peter is, is like, you know, this kind of gruff guy. He's, 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 he's what, boisterous and uh, impetuous. And, and, and John's just the opposite. John is mellow and laid back. And John, uh, John is the theologian in the group, and, and Peter's the preacher, right? So, so what, what a strange mix that we have here. So verse 4 says this, And fixing his eyes on them, with John, Peter said, Look at us. Now, I tell you what, there was a certain amount of expectation that men must have had at that point. Because I tell you what, if you want to walk by somebody who's begging, you know, you don't look at them in the eye. You, you kind of ignore them. You, you kind of make believe they don't exist. And so this man's level of expectation now is probably aroused. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Now, there, there's an implication uh, in, the, in the dialogue of the scenario what's taking place here is that it, it, it seems that it seems that the layman is being put in position, being dropped off by those that were carrying him, just as Peter and John are arriving at the same time. And so here's, here, here's a divine providence that's taking place before us today. I think that before he's probably even gotten settled into his spot, you know, I, I don't know how, how his legs may have been positioned, whether it was under him, remember he couldn't use his legs, whether it was folded under him or to the side of him. I could just see him there, not wanting to lose the opportunity for these two guys who he doesn't recognize, they're, they're strangers, but because of their dress, he could recognize that they're from Galilee. Because I tell you what, the, the, the regular inhabitants of Jerusalem who saw this guy day after day for all of those years, he would have just been a fixture at this point. You know, the, the, they wouldn't have even seen him at this point. And so he not wanting to lose his opportunity for, for maybe this expression of mercy coming from these men. You know, I could just, I could just imagine him with his, with his arm outstretched and his hand open as he's begging. And Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. What has been deposited in me, what I have received, I give to you. And here it is, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand. Now imagine, as his arm is extended, right, in, in hoping for the gift, Peter grabs him by that arm and lifts him up, pulls him up by the right hand. And immediately his feet and his ankle bones receive strength. Now I got to give props to, to Peter. What, what an expression of faith. Listen, if Peter failed, if Peter, you know, was just presuming at this point, you know, how, how dumb he would have looked and, and even cruel he would have looked to pull up a crippled man and then to see him drop to his feet. But what I want you to know is that there's always an element of risk involved when there's genuine faith that's being released. Always an element of risk involved. So, genuine faith is being released. But I want you to know this, that, that no one is, is independent of God working that miracle. No one works a miracle on their own. This was not the will of Peter, but rather this was the will of God that was taking place because no one has that power resident within them except it be through faith and through Jesus working together with them, unless it's the will of God. 
So verse eight says, and he leaping up stood and walked and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God and all the people sought him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging arms at the beautiful gate of the temple and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. Yeah, all all the questions, how, who, what? You know, the... This guy who had been there for 40 years had been such a fixture there by, by that gate. Every day people would see him. I mean, he was there. But now it was unexplainable. How is he now not only walking, but I tell you what, the joy of this man was not only that he was simply walking, but that he was leaping and jumping. Now, I don't know about you, but listen, I don't care how old you are. If you sit, if you sit at, in a seat long enough, you know, maybe the older you get, maybe you understand what I'm saying. It is pretty hard to get up from a seated position and start leaping, let alone this guy who had never walked for 40 years. Could you, could you imagine the level of joy and the level of excitement that he had could not be, could not be suppressed with simply just kind of walking around, Right? I mean, he is so excited. He is leaping for joy. And I want you to notice, it says who he's praising. He's not praising Peter and John. He's praising God because he knows who's the source of that miracle. And as he's beginning to praise God, people are starting to, they're amazed. They're befuddled. They don't know what in the world is going on. Here's such a great opportunity, and Peter now is right there, ready to take advantage of the opportunity. It says, verse 11, it says, Now, as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together with them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. They knew this guy. I tell you what, tell you what Peter didn't have to do. Peter didn't have to say, guys, can I have your attention? He didn't have to say, could you just quiet down? Let me, let, me, let me talk. All eyes were on Peter and John and on this man who had been miraculously healed. And what a great opportunity this became for Peter to share with them the gospel of Christ. Verse 12 says, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Why are you so blown away by this? Jesus has been healing the sick, raising the dead. This is what we've been talking about, right? He says, or why do you look intently at us as though by our own power or godliness, we have made this man walk? The power wasn't in us. And he's about to tell them how this miraculous power has come to pass. Verse 13, he says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, The God of your fathers, your God, the one that you believe in has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you've delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. So bringing up the very fact that they cried out instead of Jesus to be let go, they cried out for Barabbas to be let go. And Peter's reminding them of this. On this occasion now, and we're not gonna be able to get to it, but there are 5,000 now who are in this crowd who now become added to the church as believers in Jesus Christ. 
Peter says in verse 14, but you denied the Holy One and the just. And what Peter is about to do here in this short two verses is to give Jesus three more titles and the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit is, is, is inspiring Peter and the Holy Spirit inspires Peter to give to Jesus the unmistakable title of deity. You denied the Holy One. The Holy One in Scripture is none other than God himself. You've denied the Holy One and the just and have asked for a murderer to be granted and you killed, listen, the prince of life. Here's just another title of Jesus, the prince of life, the just and the Holy One, whom God raised from the dead of which we are witnesses. We are eyewitnesses that he's alive, right? Prince of life. I, I, I love the fact that the Holy Spirit gives to Jesus the honor of the, the architect and the author and the source of, of all life. You know what that tells me? That tells me, tells, it tells me what John wrote elsewhere, that all things were made by him and for him, and without him there's nothing made that is made. But it also tells me personally that he, he made me for him. He made you for himself, that you would come to know him and to be saved by him. And, it, and he did so by the cross, by the crucifixion. In his book, If I Were God, I'd End All Pain, a gentleman by the name of John Dixon recalls that he was preaching a message about the wounds of Christ at a university campus. And at the end of his message, the, the, the chairperson said to the audience, if anybody has any questions or comments, please, now would be the time. Immediately, there was a 30-something-year-old Muslim who stood up. He was one of the leaders at the, at the campus who stood up, and he addressed the audience, and this is what he said. He said, how preposterous was the claim that the creator of the universe could be subjected to the forces of his own creation, that he would eat, sleep, and go to the toilet let alone die on the cross. And so here he is raising these objections about the creator entering into our human experience. Dixon and the man went back and forth for about 10 minutes or so. And the man insisted that the notion of God having wounds was absolutely ludicrous. He says, he says, it's not only illogical that the creator of causes should not possibly be caused pain by a lesser entity is a blasphemy to the Koran. And at this point, I don't think he, the believer knew what to say except this. He said this. He says, I want to thank you for demonstrating to the audience the contrast between the, the Islamic concept of God and what, and what we believe the Bible reveals in the gospel about Christ. See, what Muslims denounce as blasphemy, we, we cleave to as being precious. What's the explanation for this? How can we, how can we understand that Jesus so willingly Son of God becomes the Son of Man so that he might be wounded at the cross with wounds that are, that are fatal, that, that lead him to the grave. The only explanation for this is the unconditional love of God. Greater love has no one in this than to lay down his life. But listen, he just didn't lay down his life for his friends, but the Bible says that while we were yet the enemies of Christ, 
He died for us. Yeah, th- th- this is love that is beyond that is beyond intellectual reasoning and logic. And no, no, no. This can only be grasped through f- the gift of faith that God is willing to give anyone that would open up their heart. One of the greatest scenes in the Bible, and we covered this some weeks ago, was when John hears the announcement that, that there's to be found one who's worthy to take a book from the hand of the one that sat upon the throne of the universe. And, and whatever that book contained, it was the, it was the releasing of destiny for the human race. And, and no one was found worthy, not in heaven, not on earth or under the earth. The Bible says that John began to weep because whatever was preventing anyone being worthy to open up that book held back the destiny of the human race. But then John was comforted by an angel and said, and said don't, don't, cry, don't weep, John, for one has prevailed. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, he has prevailed to open up the scroll and to loose the seals. And when John says, I turn to see the, the one who was before the throne of God, he says, behold, the lamb of God. You know what a lamb looks like that has been slain? It's, it's, it's throat cut from ear to ear, soaked in blood. And what John says, I saw, and I turned, and I saw the wounds of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those wounds are the windows through which God the Father now looks at us and says, these are acceptable in my sight because of the wounds of my son. Listen, what distinguishes the, the gospel and, the, and Christianity from all other religions is this unique message about grace, unmerited, undeserved, unachieved by us, but rather earned and deserved and achieved by one who came for us as us who by a leap of faith entered into the human family so that we might become part of the family of God. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness like a flood when the prince of life, the prince of life, our ransom shed for us his precious blood. Verse 16 says, and his name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see now. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. What's Peter saying? It's the name of Jesus. It's faith in his name that's made this man perfectly well down. And what I want you to see, it's, it's, it's not hocus pocus. It is the power that is resident within the name. But Peter most importantly says that it's the faith through Jesus. In other words, in other words it, was, it was Jesus operating through Peter and John's faith. So, listen, so, sometimes people get healed because they have faith and they receive. Sometimes it's the person praying. In this case, what Peter is saying is that through the operation of the gift of God that was at work in him is this miracle taking place right now. In the name of Jesus, we have power. In the name of Jesus, we have forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, we have, we have all of the rights of the family. We've already passed from death into life because of the name of Jesus. 
What I want you to take away this morning is this, that corporate faith in his great name is our right because of our family connection. And one of the things that Doug, Doug covered in his series about the cultural connection was that the disciples were commanded not to preach or not to speak in the name of Jesus, not to fill the city of Jerusalem with the name of Jesus. They said, we, we can't help but obey God. We've got to obey God. And, and that is absolutely true. And the Bible says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and they perceived that they were untrained, uneducated, that, that is, that they weren't theologians, this is what the scripture says. They perceived that they had been with Jesus. They saw the family connection. And when they saw the family connection, they said, we see the resemblance because Jesus was living and operating through them. Know that when you leave this place today, you carry with you more than the name of Jesus. If you're in Christ, Christ is in you the hope for that world. And you carry within you the authority and the power of the name of Jesus. And God wants you to exercise a corporate faith in the power of his name. That, yeah, demons can be cast out. The, heal, the sick can be healed. The dead can be raised through the power of his name. Why? Because we have a connection to somebody who is famously more more wealthy than, than the Rothschilds. We, we are connected to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning that as they saw the connection of the one who was Jesus because they recognized in them the image of Christ Jesus. So I pray today that that we will be so filled with the Holy Spirit, so soaked and saturated with the presence of Jesus that others will see the family connection for us. That when we carry with the authority the name of Jesus, when we, when we pray for the sick or when we lay hands on the sick or when we, when we do everything in your name, whether it's word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord, that we would see the power of of God operating in us and through us. That's our prayer this morning, that corporate faith be released in the power of his name.